Amen. All right, let's dive into God's word. Take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part 79 of our Being Jesus series and I entitled this morning's message, Understanding the Heart of Betrayal. Uh, Quick show of hands, how many of you, whether it was true betrayal or it was perceived betrayal, how many of you can still remember or feel the sting of betrayal in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a lot of you. We are about to read the story of Judas betraying Jesus, and I want to make it personal. Maybe if you've grown up in church, you know this story already. Yeah, 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 that guy, he was one of the 12, he, he betrayed Jesus, handed him over. No, you don't understand. This is personal to Jesus. This messes with Jesus' heart. Even though he knew it was going to happen, it didn't change the fact that he felt it. These are guys that lived together for three years, that they're, they're best friends, they're, they're comrade in arms, they're soldiers together, they've been in danger together, and yet in all that bonding, there was one that was not with them. And he would turn against the entire team. This was not merely a rejection of Jesus. This is a rejection of all that they believed in. This is a rejection of their entire crew. But nobody had any idea who it was. We're a mixed bag. In this room, there are some of us that are very connected to Christ. And there's some of us that just simply are not. There's some of us that really have no interest that we are merely here for selfish gain. When we do not get pushed by God beyond our limits to the place of instinct, we will not yet know whether we are truly His. What do I mean? I mean that there are some of us that are living a role whether our parents set it up for us, whether we do it for our children, whether we've done it for a spouse or whether or not we're doing it with our friends, we're playing a role. And the role is that we're good Christian people. But we don't know if it's legit or honest, if we're not asking the deeper questions, if we're not looking at the fruit of our lives, if we're not doing some type of analysis. And so because we are self-deluded in many ways, sometimes God will allow something to crash into our lives that's so severe is it strips away the game. Because you no longer want to do it anymore. You no longer care about the role. You no longer, maybe you've been abandoned by your friends. Maybe you've been betrayed by a spouse. And at that point you go, I don't have any other reason to play a game here. I don't care anymore. I don't want to do this church thing if it's not legit. Or maybe you've lost someone that you love deeply and you go, God, I don't want to do this if it's just fake. God will allow that to crash through to bring about you an instinct. What is your instinct? Is your instinct to lean towards Jesus or away from Jesus? And you go, wow, that seems so brutal. Well, let me ask you, do you want to know now or do you want to know when it's too late? You know what I mean? I mean, it's probably important to know now. And I think that it's his love and grace to let you know now, as opposed to later on, when the Bible says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And he says, I have no idea who you are. I I think we look at that and there's more fear there. Don't get me wrong. uh, I know there's some of you that are in my camp of being the paranoid little ones. All right. When I talk about analysis, okay, guys, 
I'm on the wrong side of that spectrum, okay? I've already told you I've been saved like 398 times, okay? <laughs> Just as a child, I was always trying to get saved to make sure everything's legit, you know? And, and so I'm not here to make you paranoid. I'm not here to drive in shame. I'm not here to play off fear. What I'm trying to say is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. An untested heart is an X factor. An untested heart is an X factor, are you testing your own heart? Now, if you're one of those paranoid ones, you're fine, okay? Leave it alone. Let God just kind of confirm for you and go, no, 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 you're my kid, man. You got saved the first time. I don't know why you keep doing this. But for those that maybe God is, is trying to move on your heart and saying, hey, you haven't asked the question about our connection in a long time. You're absolutely spiritually dead. You're dry. You're whatever. That's what I'm talking about. On those things, have you examined and said, am I connected with Jesus? Because no matter what we're going to talk about, no matter what we're going to do as a church, none of it matters if there's not a personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, if I'm talking about the power to break sin, that only resides in a believer. That only resides in someone that's been saved and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So if I'm talking about blessings upon your life from being connected to God, that only matters if you are connected to God. You understand what I mean? So if we get anything right, we got to get that right. We got to get the connection right. We got to get the relationship right. And so that's what I want to hit at the heart of today's message. If you remember in our story, Jesus had washed the disciples' feet. We're at the Last Supper. The night before Jesus is going to be, or the night Jesus is going to be arrested, the next day he's going to be on trial and he's going to be crucified. He has a lot to share with his disciples. He has a lot to demonstrate for them. And so he washes their feet and says, I just did an example for you. I want you all to be like me. I want you to serve other people. I want you to be more about their needs than your needs. I want you to be so filled up by me that you can pour out into others, that you can love on them, that you can care for them. I, I want you to be so filled full of grace from my throne that you can extend grace to other people. I want you to be transformed. And if you walk with me, there are blessings for those that walk obedient with me as my disciples, Jesus said. And that's where we pick up today's portion of the story. Let's go ahead and throw the first scripture on the screen. It is a combination of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Therefore, we have it kind of color-coded, and uh, we'll just read it together. It says this, When it was evening... Remember, it's at night that the Passover meal that they're going to be eating was to be eaten after sunset, but before midnight. So you had to finish it up by midnight. When it was evening and he was reclining at the table with the 12 apostles, as they were eating this Passover meal, he said, continuing where he left off about there's, oh, there's blessing in my obedient disciples, he says this, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled in Psalm 49, 1. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Okay, let's stop right there. This is where we get lost. I'm sorry, it says what? <laughs> Why does it say that? Who, what does that mean? This is a story that most scholars believe that David wrote about in Psalm 49 about a very low point in his life. You know, King David wrote most of the Psalms, right? He didn't write them all, but he wrote most of them. And, and it's believed that he was writing during a time when his son betrayed him. Do you remember this story? His son by the name of Absalom. 
His son said, I don't want you on the throne. I want your throne. Now, the betrayal of a child, that's pretty rough. That's pretty brutal. And so as his son is rebelling against him, trying to take over the kingdom, David is trying to step back and he's trying to figure out who's on his team. His kingdom blows up. He's looking around going, who are my men with me? And he looks to his counselor, a friend, a trusted companion. And that guy betrays him. And he goes with Absalom. They believe that this Psalm in 49 was written about that particular betrayal where David was looking back and going, I can't believe one of my buddies, one of the guys that eats with me, that hangs out with me, that's connected to me, I can't believe he would lift up his heel against me. You go, well, what does that mean? Well, lifting up your heel, they don't know for sure, but it seems to be related either to a horse lifting up its heel, which you know you don't want to be behind a horse when it lifts up its heel, (laughs) right? You're going to get kicked. Or it means the ancient Middle Eastern concept of shaking off the dust off your sandals of saying, I want no part of you. I don't even want your dirt on me. You were so disconnected from me. You were so rejected by me. I want to clean off everything that has to do with you. And I don't want anything ever to do with you again. Okay. Either way, it means rejection. So Jesus grabs that story in the past and says, that's happening to me right now. And the guys have no idea what he's talking about. So he has to clarify. I'm telling you this now, he said, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And it's not like some guy pulled it over on me. It's not like, it's not like I didn't see this coming. It's not like one of you guys are so good at treachery that I had no idea. I'm the Messiah. Of course I know. The father was going to reveal this the whole time. I knew this is how it was going to go according to prophecy. So yes, I know it. Guys, when you find out who it is among us that is our betrayer, I don't want you to think that somehow I didn't know. I knew. And I need you to understand I know so that you can be peaceful in your heart. Listen up, this is deep, he said. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. All right, who's he talking about? Here's something funny about this. I, who I thought he was talking about was opposite of every commentary I read. Now, when you're usually the one that thinks different than all the commentaries, usually you're wrong, okay? <laughs> um, but, he, but I was like, no, I'm sure someone else agrees with me, right? Uh, so I don't really know who he's talking about. We got two options. Both are true, so I don't know if it necessarily matters. But who do you think he's talking about? He says, he who receives the one I send. Who, who, who's that? You know, almost every commentary I read said it was talking about his disciples, his apostles. If you receive the one that I send out in my name, you're receiving me because they're an extension of me. And if you receive me, I'm an extension of my father. So you're not allowed to say, I like God, but I don't like Jesus. I like Jesus, but I don't like his people. You can't cut it up like that. We're one long continuum. You know what I mean? We're all the same family. So if you love one of us, you love all of us. That's kind of how it goes, right? Is that what it means? Probably in context, all the scholars are probably right. (laughs) However, I still hang on to my view. (laughs) Uh, I have the gift of stubbornness on that. Uh, Here's what's super funny. You know who I thought about when he said that? The Holy Spirit. I was like, wait, 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 hold on. Who's he sending? He always goes, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. 
And I was like, oh, well, he means the Holy Spirit. So if you receive the Holy Spirit, then you're receiving the Son. If you receive the Son, you receive the Father. And now we got the entire Trinity going. And I was going, man, that sounds super biblical, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? Now, is that true? It is true. So either way, it doesn't really matter. The point is, the family of God is the family of God. You don't get to pick out the parts that you like and the parts that you don't like. You're not allowed to go, man, the Father, that guy's awesome. I mean, the way he sits on that throne, <laughs> right? Man, he's such a good creator. He makes stuff out of dirt. It's awesome. And you're not, you know, I love Jesus, man. He's so good at dying. You know, he's a, he's the savior of the world. I like that guy. He's totally relatable. That Holy Spirit guy, man, that guy's weird. You know, I mean, you're not allowed to just cut him out, right? And the Holy Spirit's like, wait a second, hold on. I'm the primary one that's engaging with you as a member of the Trinity right now. You know, I mean, so we're not allowed to just divvy out and say what we like or don't like about God's family. God is who God is, and his family is who his family is. And yeah, I get we're all messy, but you're not allowed to cut us out either, right? All right, we keep moving. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Something he's about to say is going to really mess with his heart. It already has. That word is agitated or stirred up. Why is Jesus agitated or stirred up? Well, he's going to start talking about being betrayed. And you're like, yeah, I know, I know. But he's God, right? He's like fully man, fully God. So he already knows who it's going to be. Why are you agitated right now? You know where it's going to go. And your foreknowledge should, that should stop you from feeling weird about it. But does it? I don't think it does. You know, it's interesting because sometimes we have some of us that are touchy-feely people and, and we say things like, you know, when you're, when you're weeping in your home, in your closet, God is there with you. And then all the analyzers, right, and all the skeptics in us, we all be like, oh, I don't think so. He's in the joy of heaven. He already has a good perspective and he's doing awesome on the throne. So you're crying by yourself. <laughs> Nobody likes those people. <laughs> but I get it. I understand why they're saying that. Because they're thinking that if he knows everything and has a better vantage point, then that shouldn't bother him. And yet we find that in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is really messed up. But he knows how it's going to turn out. We see him weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he's about to raise him from the dead in about five minutes. We now see him here troubled when he already knew it in advance. In other words, God's foreknowledge doesn't change his emotional engagement. That's a trip. Because if that's true, then he is present with his people. And even though he knows what's going to happen with the prayer request, he's still there with you. Huh? personal God. After all these sayings, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified, listen up, this is deep. One of you will betray me. One who's eating with me. Disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke, and they began to be very sorrowful. And they began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? Meaning it's not me, right? I mean, they're all assuming he's going to look back and go, no, 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 of course it's not you. He answered, seriously, check this out. The hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. It's one of the 12 who is dipping bread in the dish with me. Guys, it's one of us. There's only 13 of us in the room. He's right here among us. Boy, that just tripped everybody out. 
There is no way they can fathom or imagine there's a betrayer in their midst. They've already got each other's back. They've already been in trouble with the authorities together. They've already been in danger. They've already hung out with each other. They've already served one another and done miracles with one another. I mean, all this crazy stuff. Who in the world could it possibly be? They had no idea. Hmm. He keeps saying this phrase, one who's eating with me, one who's at the table, one who's dipping his bread in the dish with me. What is all that about? I mean, he keeps saying it, right? What does that mean? Ancient Middle East. You don't just eat with anybody. See, in our world, we have business dinners and stuff like that with people we can't stand. You know what I mean? It's like the, you know, kind of the American way is just put on a a facade, right? Um, and, And it's not that there's not bad people in everywhere in the world. It's just that in the ancient Middle East, they had certain social norms And one of those social norms was you only eat with people that you're willing to identify with. They had a big division on who you'd hang out with and eat with. So for them to eat together like this in this type of intimate setting, in the way that they would set up the table and you end up leaning right next to each other and it's very kind of a close and intimate thing, you're saying we're all safe, we're all on the same page, we're all cool. But it wasn't all cool. It wasn't all safe somebody's playing a role somebody's faking it and they can't figure out who it was how good at treachery must judas have been nobody knows how do you live with somebody for three years and not pick up on this i mean it's not like they were distant from each other it's not like they were just talking to each other through email i mean this is they're in it every day and they didn't notice this here. Every time I hear this phrase, I always think of the time when Jesus sent them out two by two. You remember that? He'd sent them out two by two. They're out casting out demons and they're healing people and they're preaching and people are getting saved. Who was Judas's partner? You remember? Uh, it doesn't say, but you remember that he had a partner. That guy, it's just the two of them on their whole mission trip. Judas is doing just as many miracles. He's doing just as much power. He's doing just as much healing. He's doing just as much preaching. You have no idea. And he's not even in. Whoa, that's crazy. Because you think if everyone came back and told stories and like, dude, I had a dud for a partner, man. (laughs) He didn't do jack. I mean, I was sitting out there. I was like, I guess I'll go again. You know, (laughs) thanks, Judas. That was good. You know, you think everybody would have known. And not only that, but they analyzed each other. Okay, you're going to see that in a moment. But remember, they'll even argue who the greatest is. They're analyzing each other's works. Judas, you don't know. Man, he's good at hiding his stuff. He's good at playing the game. Everyone at that table was clueless except for Jesus. Let me ask you a quick question, make it real personal. What sins you got going on we have no idea about, right? I mean, you're real good at hiding them. What, do you have a psycho temper, but it only shows up at home? What, do you got all kinds of really intense, crazy, sketchy, uh, illegal porn habits? What, 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 do you, what do you got going on? You got something? Because you all look like nice, sweet Christian people. Everybody's all good, right? But, but y'all know that there's something else going on in there. And what's interesting is that you got us all snowed. I mean, we have no idea. But Jesus does. 
And you think that in somehow keeping it from us is somehow benefiting you. But when in fact, the only one that matters already knows. Judas really didn't win anything by making sure that his buddies didn't know that he wasn't in. Keeping it silent and hidden really did not bless him in any way, shape, or form. Huh. Last thing I thought about at that point is what does Judas do as part of the team? We do know what his job is. What is it? He's a treasurer. Who do you put in charge of the money? The funny guy? You don't put funny guy in charge of the money. You're just like, dude, we lost how much? He's like, hilarious! You're like, no, that's not hilarious. <laughs> okay, you put the what? The most trusted person in charge of the money. And the most trusted person is the betrayer. You understand how messed up this whole scenario is? All right. For as the Son of Man goes, Jesus said, the Son of Man's going to go as it is written, right? It's been determined. I was born to die. You can read Isaiah 53. You can read Psalm 22. I was born to die. It's going to go like that. And I'm going to die and I'm going to be glorified. We know that. However, woe to that man by, woe to that man um, through whom, the son of man is betrayed, it would have been better for that man not to have been born. The word woe there means, I feel super, super sorry for you. Why? Because what's better than not being born? Or what's worse than not being born? Eternal torment. That's what's facing Judas. So he's looking and going, guy, this is not good. And I have no joy about that. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, rabbi? And he said to him, you're the one that said so. Yeah, you know it's you, Judas. Come on, we're not playing a game here. He looked him right in the eye and said, yeah, you know it's you. No one else picked up on that, and that's key. Watch the next line. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. How did that conversation go? Philip, it's totally, you have the most guilty eyes, dude. And he's like, I am not. Those are my contact lenses, you know, and it... I mean, how do you start accusing each other? You're just like, you know what? The more I'm thinking about it, it is totally you, you know? And then everyone starts arguing. They're trying to challenge each other, and they can't even figure out who it is. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved, which is who? John, right? We know him as John the Beloved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. Now, we believe him to be at Jesus' right side. So Simon Peter, who's not at Jesus' side, he's somewhere else in the table area, he can see John. He locks eyes. They're good buddies. He locks eyes with him, and he motions to him to ask Jesus about who he was speaking. Who is the bad guy? So that disciple, John won't even talk about himself in the first person, right? John, that disciple, leaning back against Jesus' chest, leaning into him, feeling his heartbeat, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. He just outed Judas to John. How did he do that without anyone else knowing? How did Peter not know? And Peter's the one that instigated the whole thing. This is so weird that it's so secret and you're kind of going, how did that operate? Let me tell you how, this, how the room was set up. This will give you a little better idea. The way that it works when it says they recline at table, literally it means there's a table in the center and it's a very low table that you can reach laying down. They would organize couches or cushions in a U-shape around 
the table. The way that it would normally work is that the short part of the U, that little crossbar of the U, was where the host would sit. He'd sit in the middle of the U so everyone could see him. He then has two places of honor on his right and on his left. So usually that little part of the U only really kind of housed three people. Everyone else was in the long parts of the U because they were all part of the team and they could see each other. But you were laying with your head toward the table, your feet behind you. You're laying on your left arm so that your right arm can move around. But if you're laying like this, some dudes to your back, one guy's to your front. So that whole idea of laying and joking around and talking and drinking wine and everything, that's a pretty intimate environment, right? So who was next to Jesus? We believe that John was on his right side because if he's leaning on his left arm, he can lean back and ask Jesus a question. That way no one else can hear. But who else is he having private conversations with in this meal? Judas, who's on his left side. That means that John and Judas were in the places of honor and no one thought that was weird. Why? Because they were always seen as close friends of Jesus. This heightens the betrayal level. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody went, well, that's weird. Why is Judas up there? Because they would have. Remember, James and John wanted the right and left side of Jesus on the thrones. I mean, everybody's clear about the seating arrangement. And if they would have noticed that, oh, no, 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 he doesn't belong there. They would have said something and went, man, Jesus is doing something tonight and blah, 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 blah. They didn't have any idea why. Because Jesus frequently put Judas at his side. Not to keep an eye on him, but to give him friendship. But none of it changed Judas's heart. So the whole time they could have private conversation, Jesus would lean back into Judas's chest and go, dude, you know it's you. We're all clear on this. Because how could he be close enough for him to dip the morsel, give it to him, and John could see it if he wasn't right next to him? Hmm pretty intense stuff yeah a couple other things the dipping of the bread and handing it to somebody was a way of a special honor oh the host is giving somebody it's almost like you're feeding them i mean it was it was kind of this whole "Ooh, you must be a big deal well he gave it to judas so everyone was like oh he's being nice to judas again we get it that's a little awkward for us but all right how did peter not find out about it though peter's the one going john dude Find out who it is because they're friends and he knows that Jesus will tell John pretty much anything. (laughs) Why is John so close to Jesus? Well, we don't really know, but most scholars believe he was the youngest in the crew. You come to find out he's the only one that was going to live till for a full life. Everyone else gets martyred and, and murdered. So, but he lived a really long time and they don't live very long back then. So he had to start later. So he was the youngest probably in the whole entire crew. So the youngest member, his brother was James. They were the sons of thunder. He's probably the young upstart. And so Jesus kept him very close to him. So they said, oh, you're the beloved. Jesus always favors you. But notice that Judas is up there as well. But how did Peter not figure this out? Why did Peter want to know? Is it just curiosity? I don't think so. Why? Y'all remember what happens when Jesus gets arrested in the garden? A guy named Malchus, Simon Peter goes after him with what? A sword. (laughs) And he cuts his ear off. He was not aiming for the ear. He's just a bad shot. So he is ready to kill anyone that harms Jesus. 
why didn't John tell him? <laughs> I can guarantee you that if he got a little secret from Jesus, he's like, dude, I'm not telling you. You're a psycho, man. I'm not going to let you know who it is. So somehow Judas got out of that room before Peter found out about it. Right? And they still didn't even say anything. They probably were really tense when Judas shows up with the bad guys in the garden, but they still were kind of shocked by it. So John kept the secret pretty quiet. All right. Then after he had taken the morsel from Jesus, Satan entered into Judas. This is the second time that Satan personally possessed Judas. The first time was to incite him to go to the authorities for 30 pieces of silver. Now we're doing it again. Jesus said to him, now here's what's a trip. They're laying next to each other. Satan goes right inside the body where Jesus leans back on and starts talking to him. Whoa, that's weird, huh? You got Satan and Jesus right next to each other. That's kind of creepy. Jesus said to him, what you're about to do, do it quickly. Get a move on, man. It's time. Let's go. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. He probably said that pretty loud so everyone would know why Judas was getting up. But some thought it was because Judas had the money bag as the treasurer that Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or they should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Now, why did he mention it was night? You can't even start the meal till after sunset. And you have to finish up before midnight. Why did he mention it was night? Because to John, light and darkness are a big deal. If you remember in his gospel and in 1 John, there's a lot of, if you get saved, you go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he says that if the light is in him, there is no darkness in him. To John, light and dark are a big deal. So in John's gospel, he said, and when he went out, darkness reigned. And Judas has never moved from darkness. That's where he remains. Where did Jesus really go next to go talk to the authorities to get everything ready for the arrest that was going to be at their prayer place, their secret place in the Garden of Gethsemane? Um, what's the point of this? Jay, can you come on up here? Here's, here's what I think the point of it is. How can you be around Jesus so much like Judas was? but not love him. How can you see what he can do in terms of power and authority? How can you hear his heart of love, the way that he touched the leper, the way that he was sweet to the woman at the well who was rejected, the way that he was so kind with children and yet not submit to his authority in your life? Well, I don't know. How do we do it? Right? Because Judas is a totally different kind of guy. Or is he human? Okay, so every one of us, our hearts are subject to betrayal. And, and what ends up happening is that for many of us, the betrayal is in the form of idolatry or spiritual adultery. We do worship God. But then midweek, we worship at another altar of something else. That could be power, that could be affirmation, that could be addiction, that could be uh, sexuality, that could be body image, that could be... You understand what I'm saying? And we go and we worship at another altar and then we come back 
And Jesus is sitting there with his kind-hearted face, and he says, where you been? Oh, I've just been out. Okay. Well, what are you here for? Oh, I'm here to worship you. Okay. Right on. That's good. That's good. Where are you going next? Ah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really want to get into that right now. I don't know. I haven't really planned it out. Okay. The only thing that matters is our connection with Jesus. So where are you at? Uh, are you connected? Is, is there any life to your prayers? Or is it just what you do? Is there any engagement in Scripture? Not because it's, it's hard to read, but because there's an interest to try to read it. Because in those pages is a little bit more about your Jesus. It's like refusing to read a love note because it's written in cursive. That's hard to read. Is there any vibrancy in your expectation of God anymore? Or is it dry and distant? So what I would like to do is just close in prayer with you. And during that prayer, here's what I need you to do. Because if we remain in our own heads, there's so much going on there, we get very distracted. So what I would like to do is between you and God alone, I'm not interested in, I don't need to look at you and figure out what's going on with you. But as I begin to pray about reconnecting with Christ, if that is you during the prayer, as an act of connection, I want you to raise your arm up to God, your hand up to God and say, God, that's me. And then you can put it down. It's not a, it's not a thing where you're trying to tell everybody else. It's that you need to follow through and go, I'm admitting I'm not connected. I'm not connected the way I need to be. I'm, I'm way out of line, God. I don't know what it is, but I don't like it. And I need you to lead me back. God, I will do whatever I can to try to find and take the opportunities afforded by you to reconnect. God, I don't know what to do about my emotions. My emotions are kind of weird right now. I feel really dry. I don't even know how to get that started, but I am open. God, I'd like to reconnect with you. So just sometime during that prayer, while I pray, you just raise your hand up to God and then you put it back down. Because I think that's the most important thing we should be doing right now, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we are. And God, we have given you our hearts some of us, we gave you about 5%. Some of you, we've given 100% and then we took back 70. God, we're all over the map. Most of us don't even know, Lord, where we're at. Uh, we, we know we're probably not where we need to be, but, but we're only doing that now. We don't, we don't think about that on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And so right now, while we have clarity, we want to tell you, God, we get it. We're not connected to you. And we want to be, we want to be more connected. We want to grow in you. We want to learn about you. We want to fall in love with you. And, and, and as weird as that is, God, we, we have to love you. 
And however that works out and whatever that means, God, we need to be known by you. We need you to, to know us in a way that we experience you and engage with you and laugh with you and joke with you and, and have fun with you and, and cry with you and have sorrow with you and, and go through hard times with you. God, we want to drive with you and we want to work with you and we want to go to church with you and we want to hang out with our family with you and, and we want you a part of everything we do. And somehow, God, it's gotten disconnected. And I don't know how. But God, I do know that we don't want to have the heart of Judas. I do know that we don't want to turn our backs on you. And I know, God, Peter turned his back on you just like Judas did. But he came back. And so, God, we are probably all Peter. (laughs) So, Lord, we have turned our back on you. Forgive us. We have worshiped at the altar of another. We have committed spiritual adultery. Forgive us. Welcome us back like you always gently do. Like you're always so filled with grace and so filled with kindness and so filled with love in your eyes that when we come back and we connect with you, it's like we never left. Pour out that grace upon us and reconnect us. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The prayer team is here for you if you'd like some more prayer. And we'll see you next week. We love you.